Stop talking about yourself or your product. Start talking about how other people can become better, smarter, faster, because people don't buy great products. They buy better versions of themselves. Hey guys, welcome back to SaaS Half Full, the only show serving B2B SaaS marketers. I'm Lindsay Groper, president at Blast Media, and like most episodes, I will be your host and bartender today. Today, we are speaking with John Ferrara, who is the CEO of Nimble. John's team approached me about something he's pretty passionate about, which is how to build a community of micro-influencers. Influencers is usually a pretty heated topic, those that believe in it, don't believe in it, but here's the hot take. John believes that you should never have to pay for influencer involvement with your brand. It should happen organically and authentically, add value to both sides, and it should not have money involved. Boom. So grab a drink and listen as John and I unpack micro-influencers. Hey, John, welcome to SAS Half Full. Thanks for joining me. You bet, Lindsay. And I understand that you did take us up on a cocktail kit, which I love. You got the Patron times John Boy Margarita Collection Kit. It is sitting next to you, not mixed up and unopened, but you got it. That is a big old box. And I'm looking forward to breaking that open. I am drinking something very basic. I'm actually drinking red wine today because I'm in our office and I went to grab uh, my typical drink, which is a Tito Plus something mixer and realized that we are basically out of mixers, but luckily we had red wine here. I always stick to the process. And sometimes that means I drink alone, but it's okay. So John is CEO of Nimble, a scaling SaaS company. And John, I want to make sure that people have a quick understanding of what is Nimble. So if you could give us the even abbreviated elevator pitch of Nimble, that would be really helpful. Lindsay, relationships are critical to your life success because you can't do it alone in life. And managing your contacts and relationships has always been a struggle. It started with the Rolodex. If you're old enough to remember what a Rolodex is, then you're an old fart like me. And it evolved. And today, I think relationships are even harder to manage and Nimble makes it easy. Perfect. And I do remember the Rolodex. I had one, so I'm, I have no hesitancy in, in aging myself. Nimble is indeed not your first foray into the SaaS world. Walk us through your journey into B2B SaaS. How did that start? Well, it really started out with Goldmine, which was my first software company I founded. I started that company on $5,000, grew it to about $100 million a year in revenue, sold, and I started to use social media. And imagine me being out of tech for 10 years. That's like a lifetime. And so I began to use uh, social to rebuild my brand and grow my network. And I quickly found that social was going to change the way that we work, play, buy, and sell, and that I needed a contact platform that helped me to manage the relationships I was building in social. And I started looking at contact management and CRM and saw they weren't social. They did integrate to Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, and other things. And that it basically put a, a spark in my head that this is an opportunity to reimagine what I started with Goldmine to pioneer social CRM and social selling with Nimble. And you did. You, you grew Goldmine to a very healthy revenue generating machine and use the learnings to start Nimble. And I was excited when your team approached us about you being on the show. They provided a really nice long list of topics that you are passionate about that you could speak with me today. But the one that really stuck out to me was the idea of micro-influencers. And it stuck out to me for a couple of reasons is 
one, there's no shortage of discussion around influencers. It is oftentimes more associated with more of a B2C environment. So do like the idea of unpacking influencers in the B2B sector. And then this idea of micro-influencers and building an actual community, because it speaks to more of a strategy versus I need to get something out of this one person and I'm going to build this one relationship. So there seems to be a holistic strategy around it that I want to dive into. So the topic that we settled on is how to build a community of micro-influencers to drive your business. Explain this to us. Let me start without social media, because I think that social media can confuse and scare business people. So let me start with how I built Goldmine by using micro-influencers, because it's more of a It removes the social from the equation, so to speak. So imagine that me at 28 years old in an apartment in Canoga Park, I have basically built Outlook and Salesforce before either existed. So we basically built the first program that integrated email, contact and calendar and sales and market automation for a team on a network. And so how do you sell somebody something they don't even know that they need? So what I did was I I figured out that The influencer of my prospect was the person that sold them the network, the technology reseller. And if I could get them to use Goldmine, that they would easily recommend it because people sell what they know and they know what they use. So I cold called every single network reseller in the country and I got them to use Goldmine and then they started to recommend it. And then that's how we got to our first $100,000 a month in revenue. So think about it. I basically accessed the trusted advisor of my prospect and that's their influencer. And so then how did I scale it from there is I started to mix guerrilla PR into that. And so I started contacting the editors and writers at business and technology pubs. And I said, how can I help you write more stories? And they said, tell us stories about how people are using technology to grow. And I started talking about how people are using Nimble to convert prospects and leads into relationships and and revenue. And that helped to find CRM, SFA, contact management, and we got more print and more awards than all the other products combined. And that's what helped us get to that $100 million of, in revenue. So then fast forward to Nimble. I built Nimble before people knew that social was applicable to business. It was the new channel of communications for companies to customers and vice versa. And so what I did was identified the influencer of my prospect in and around the areas of promise of the products and services so thought leaders in social sales and marketing. And the way I accessed those influencers was I simply curated the content from influencers in those categories that resonated with me. So I basically swam in the social river and I started to consume content in and around the areas of promise my product, social sales and marketing. And the influencers that shared or wrote great content, I would share their content on my identity and the Nimble identity and attributed appropriately. What that did is it attracted people who were looking to be better, smarter, faster at social sales and marketing, attracted the community of the influencer, and ultimately the influencer themselves, who would say, thank you, John, appreciate the share. And that gave them the opening to uh, reply to them and ultimately convert that digital conversation with that influencer into a face-to-face conversation. Now, here's the trick when you get on the phone or on a, a Zoom call, whatever, with an influencer. You don't want to immediately dive into how great you are, your products and services are. What you want to do is do research before you communicate with them and understand who they are and what their business is about and be prepared to ask a few questions. 
And then if you ask these questions and then just shut the fuck up and listen, then they will deliver to you everything that you need to understand who they are, where they're at, and where they're going and how you might blow some wind in their sails. And at the end of that, you would then maybe make a recommendation. And when you do add value to that person, they'll naturally open the door for you and say, hey, John, tell me about you and what you're doing. And then you could share what you're doing. And ultimately, that starts a relationship where these influencers then started to become not only users of Nimble, but actually advisors and, and apostles for Nimble. So I effectively built probably an army of five or 10,000 influencers around the world who were not only users, but actually evangelists for our product. And I never had to pay them a dime because I built relationships and paid them forward over time. And I'm glad that you started with an example that lived outside of social media. That's where I think most people's brains automatically go is social media influencers. So I did want to get from your perspective how you view different types of influencers because it it's gray at best to define a category of influencers, media or analysts, analysts or media, analysts or influencers, influencer analysts. And then you have your whole secondary set of more business influencers who are the authors or CEOs of non-competing companies, but right there, influencers in this space. So how do you define influencers and, and do you categorize them in certain ways? I like to simplify it, right? Let's just make it basic for their, your average listener. So if I wanted to access a small business decision maker, I could actually try to message to them, but they're over messaged, right? They will not look at your stuff. So uh, the best way to access them would be through a trusted advisor of them. It could be their lawyer. It could be their accountant. It could be their technology reseller. It could be their broker. It could be a lot of different people. And so what you want to be able to do if you want to be able to access your core prospect or customer, you want to understand who is their trusted advisor? Who is their influencer? Who do they trust? And then how can you access those people? So what you want to start with is who is your prospect and customer? Uh, who are their trusted advisors? Where do they go to become better, smarter, faster? What are the platforms that they go to? What is the content and categories that they read? And then what you want to do is you want to identify people that have high reach and relevance in those categories on those platforms. And those are your micro influencers. That's really helpful. That's a great way to look at it because I, I do feel like many times influencers aren't defined the right way. And when you take a look at it from who are the trusted advisors to your prospects and the people to whom you're looking to sell, take it that route of who are those trusted advisors and then categorically they'll fall into some different areas. Curious on your perspective with influencers, social media influencers who are targeted by businesses simply because of the number of fans or followers. Because the way I look at it is oftentimes high number of fans and followers, low knowledge of the space, and then low number of fans and followers, but potentially high knowledge of the space. I'll give you an example. I watched these influencers who used to be social media influencers who became things like, you know, Bitcoin influencers, let's just say. And so what influencers do is they start, especially in the social world, is they started by just building a, an audience. And, and many of those audiences aren't even real. So these people have these huge audiences 
And then they just sort of skip from wave to wave to whatever is the current sort of hot thing. And they apply that audience to that. So first they were marketing influencers, then social influencers, and then Bitcoin influencers. And so you don't necessarily want to use a number of followers to determine if somebody has high reach and relevance. I think there's actually tools that you could use that will analyze people that have high reach and relevance in certain categories. You could find in a category content that has high engagement and shares, and then who wrote those things. And that would immediately give you influences in your category that uh, are real. So once you have identified this list, however wide it is, want to talk through what happens next. A lot of barriers that marketers will communicate is that, well, we don't have a budget for influencers. So before any outreach is made, how do you suggest marketers or whoever's in charge of this program to think about what they want to get out of it? What are the expectations and understanding what should be the goal before even starting outreach? Here's a simple formula for influencer outreach that will have immediate effect and long-term effects. And so if you're a business person listening to this today, this is your formula for building your personal brand, your company brand, the sustainable garden around your business of constituents that will help you achieve your dreams. You build an identity for yourself, ideally your leadership team, as well as your brand. And on the places where your constituency has conversations, your constituency is a blend of prospects, customers, and their influencers. Where do they go to have conversations and to learn and grow in and around the areas of promise your products and services? Typically, that's going to be Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, maybe Instagram. That would be sufficient for most cases. And then you want to go and, and walk in those places around the categories that uh, your promise, your products are, and read and listen to the content and the people that, sh- that, that are creating it and find the things that have high reach and, and resonance with you. What inspires and educates you? Look, you've forgotten more about your industry than your customers will ever know in your life. And if you just give your knowledge away on a daily basis, that's how you become top of mind as a trusted advisor yourself. Most people aren't good at writing content. So what you do is you curate it. You find content that inspires and educates you in and around the areas of your promise of your products and services. And then what you do is you share that content on your personal brand, on your team member's brand, and your corporate brand. And what that will do is it'll attract people to your uh, website and your brands and your social identities who want to be better, smarter, faster at whatever you do, as well as the influencer themselves. And what you want to do is in the morning when you're having your coffee, you just share that content out. And I like to use something called Buffer to do that. You want to hashtag it appropriately and attribute the writer's name. So make sure that you put the writer's name and attach that to the share. And then in the afternoon, spend 30 minutes listening and then responding to those people not with the intent to sell them or bag and tag them, but finding a way to add value to them, right? Even if it means recommending a competitor's product. And if you do that, rinse and repeat on a regular basis, share content in the morning, afternoon, listen and engage, you will build this community around you of prospect customers and ideally their influencers. 
And those influencers will open the door for you to have those conversations where you don't have to pay them. You could actually build a relationship with them where they will in kind help you achieve your dreams. So in that first outreach email, let's say you've done all this, you've built the community and you feel like maybe there's some rapport between you and the desired influencer and you you decide that, okay, I feel like the time is right for me to reach out to this influencer and, and set up a conversation. Do you set up a, is it a briefing? What is that outreach? I would reach out and say, hey, Lindsay, I really dig not only your podcast where you talk about how to differentiate your brand and, and get your message out, but also how you're different. You know, I love the fact that you send your podcast people a drink and you drink with them because that's what life's about, breaking bread. And so I'd love to learn more about you. Can we set up a time to, uh, to have a conversation, to learn more about each other and possibly find ways to add value, blow some wind in each other's sales? Something simple like that. It's like real. And ideally, there's a hook in there where you've gone into their background, their stream. We all get too many emails that are so generic. And like we just say, forget about it, right? Forget about it. And if you take the time to really try to understand that person and put something in there that differentiates yourself, shows them you've taken the time to get to know them, and that there's something that might be of value to them. Absolutely. So you've described Good Sales 101. That is truly in any relationship building, anytime you're looking to to stand out, differentiate. There is though at some point an expectation of an end game. So you do have an expectation of an influencer at some point, if there's mutual benefit, to have some sort of a result. And whether that is through a social share, that is through you inviting them to speak at your conference, you including them in a white paper, and in turn, they share it to their networks. If I'm picking up what you're saying is that this should happen relatively organically and authentically as you build that relationship, that there's not necessarily a, I'm here to ask you for this in exchange for why. And the thing is, is you may not know what it will be with each of the people until you're in the moment of the conversation where you find that thing. And for me, it's easiest to speak concrete examples from my perspective. So number one is all of this is better if you've invested over time in building your brand and your network so that when you reach out, you're a person that they know of, or that if they Google you, they see that you are at least contributing to the community that they're in. Stop talking about yourself or your product. Start talking about how other people can become better, smarter, faster, because people don't buy great products. They buy better versions of themselves. And so what you want to do is you want to start with your customer and start with how are you going to make them better? And so the whole idea of this building the identity, sharing the content, listening and engaging is to have those micro conversations not just with the influencers, but with the community itself that ultimately build your brand and your network where you stand out, where those influencers see you as a peer, or at least see you as somebody that's contributing to the community where it'd be worth their time to connect with. So it all sort of feeds on itself over time. And John, as CEO and and founder, you you understand the influencer space. You're the one that's owning it as, as the personal brand yourself. However, Many CEOs, founders, this is not going to be in their wheelhouse, not something they want to do, should care to do. 
and it oftentimes falls into the marketing function. Who do you think should ultimately own it? It's not authentic if you have a marketing person fully curate content for you, share that on your identity, and well, especially if nobody listens and engages, then you're really wasting your time. Think about this. Outside of your business is this digital social river that's flowing by with all these conversations. And the whole idea of sharing content is like dropping a lure into that river so you can then catch some fish. But if you drop the lure in there and then you basically don't pull it when there's a bite, you just leave it, then at best, the the worm's going to ignore it or possibly just nibble the worm and never bite. And so you need to engage with authenticity. And I, I call it the five E's of social business, educate, enchant, engage, embrace, and empower. And the best way to do that is for you to personally get involved because people feel the authenticity that's either there or not there. But one of the things that I did skip is this sort of organic thing that happens. Like, how do you then, when you're in the conversation with the influencer, how do you take it to that next level that produces a result? Because ultimately, that's what you want to do. And so for me, the result with the influencer, and this is just applicable to Nimble, could be that they use my product and are successful with it and talk about that success, use the product and give me feedback and where I can improve the product. Or in the conversation, I invite them to do a webinar with me because I'm so enthralled with what they do that I think it'll add value to my community or to contribute a podcast. A lot of times these influencers have books and uh, and I might do a, a blog where I talk about the book or invite them on a webinar or a podcast to talk about their book. But ultimately it's finding a way to add some value to them while they add value to you and kind of organic. And uh, it really depends, but it helps if you do have some type of platform that you're building. So if you are a business person, any business person, you could start doing some simple posts on your website and in a blog. You could actually do some recordings where you share that. You don't have to go set up a thing on Zencaster and an Apple podcast to do some basic shares of some videos that you do or recordings that you do with people. Anybody can really start doing that. But I think it helps if you have a platform that you can bring them into your community. So we have 100,000 subscribers to Nimble. So there's a value to the influencer to basically join that community and share their knowledge, which they then get leads or exposure from. And so I think that it's organic of what the ask is for me. I don't go into a thing knowing exactly, usually what I want, what I would like somebody to do for me. It really depends on the person because not every person has a platform that they could necessarily write a post or if they're not a contributor to Forbes or they don't have a blog. But even then it's okay because if you think about like, I don't know if you know who Brian Solis is or Brian Kramer is or Brian Fanzo is, but all these guys are like, you know, Brian, so I'm going to give you a story. Do you really know who Brian Solis is? Yes. He would be considered an influencer. Of course. Yeah. So Brian Solis was the database administrator at the first PR agency that I hired at Goldmine in 1991 or two. It was called Dodge and Mansfield in the Valley, San Fernando Valley. And uh, he's the, and I actually fired Dodge and Mansfield because they, they were these two British people really attractive, well-dressed British people that came and sold me a bill of goods and uh, on a retainer, 5,000 a month, whatever it was. 
And they basically put Brian on the job of, you know, doing the reach out. And Brian was young then, you know, he's still learning. And so I let him go and I hired an in-house PR person. It was, you know, see you later. Great. But these influencers aren't necessarily all these like these Brian kind of people. There are micro influencers out there that have followers, but they're just not, they don't have 100,000 followers. They have 10,000 followers, but that's okay because for those 10,000 followers, they are their Brian and super engaged. And so you don't want to just focus on those top ones. In fact, what you want to do is you want to focus on the emerging Brian. So Brian Fanzo, he worked at, I don't know where he worked, but he lived in Arizona. And I was like his advisor like eight years ago, where I was encouraging him to step out from whatever role that he had and really, you know, expand himself and and challenge himself. And, you know, today, Brian's killing it, Brian Fanzo. And but Brian was an emerging micro-influencer way back then, but now he's a dear friend and I helped him get to the place that he was in in certain way. And so don't discount the emerging thought leaders in your categories. In fact, they're the best people to start with because they're more open to having the conversation with you. And if you have this army of these emerging influencers, then guess what? The, the next level up influencer is more likely to have a conversation with you. And I'm really glad you gave all of the examples of ways that you can add value to each other that are that are unpaid. There is this idea that I need to pay an influencer to to talk about my brand. And this conversation makes me believe that if you're to a point where an influencer is asking for money, then you haven't built the relationship. You're not there yet. I've never paid an influencer for anything. I've never paid for print. So you gave really great examples of ways that you can add value to each other that don't involve a paid relationship. And if there, if it goes to a paid relationship quickly, it tells me that re- that there's not a relationship there. Then we we both just jumped into what can you give me and I can give you. And I think that that the result is negligible when you when you do that because people sense real. And when somebody essentially says, you know, my sponsor is or whatever. Versus, you got to try this fucking nimble thing because it's just it it's just it helps me to manage this network that I've been building over time, and it's like my personal CRM. And you know, I used to use Google or LinkedIn, and they were, all my contacts were all these disparate places. And I'm going to go speak at a conference in New York, and there's no way I would be able to segment my database without spending like 24 hours on this thing. And with Nimble, I just said, "Give me all the CEOs who are influential in PR." within 10 miles of New York City. And uh, okay, here's a templated email. Okay, send it to them all, but it's going to feel like it came from my email. It's a one-to-one because I have a platform that's nimble. And that was going to be, so my last question here on this set is that once you have this built, this network, you've done all of these things is how do you actually manage it? And that is that is where a nimble can come in and help you do that. And we were talking before I hit record and you asked, you know, how do you manage your contacts? I said, not well through a series of disparate systems. That's most people. Really, that's everyone. Because this is actually the biggest problem in CRM today. It's contact management. It's managing relationships. CRM stands for customer relationship management. It should stand for customer reporting management. The reason they call it Salesforce, you have to force salespeople to use it. Nobody in the right mind would use a CRM if they weren't beat on to do it. And I know that because I know every influencer in CRM in the world, and none of them use a CRM. Why? Because CRMs aren't managing, aren't built for managing relationships and contacts. They're built for command and control of salespeople and leads. And that's why we need something that's built for relationships that unifies your contacts from all the places they exist today. 
enriches them with the people and company data that you need in order to engage effectively. But most importantly, that works where you work. Because Lindsay, you don't want to go to your CRM to use it. You don't want to work for it. You want it to build itself and then work where you work. You live in your inbox and more and more in social or whatever business apps you're using. And that's what Nimble does. It sits in your inbox. It sits in your social. If I'm in LinkedIn having a conversation, LinkedIn messaging, I can hover on the guy's name and it'll automatically build or bring up a record for that person. I then have the context and insights I need to engage effectively, but most importantly, the follow-up and follow-through because that's where we all fail. I'm having a conversation with you. I'm telling you that I think it'd be great for you to meet with David Meerman Scott. If I don't put that task in my contact connected to your record, I'm not going to do it because I'm going to, after this call, be on to the next thing and I will forget about it. And so you need not only a database that will unify and enrich those contacts and synchronize the email calendar and social things that you and the team have done with them, but then work where you work so that you have this like nudge thing on your shoulder that goes, oh yeah, that's Lindsay from Indianapolis. You talked to her on a podcast back then and introduced her to David Merriman Scott. And oh, by the way, you should follow up with her and find out how that went and see if she actually made that connection. Well, influencers is always a an interesting and, and sometimes a little bit of a polarizing topic, which is why I wanted to have you on today. Is there anything that we didn't cover that you wanted to make sure we touched on? Yeah, there is. What's your purpose in life, those listening to this today? Is it to make as much money as you can? What's that going to do for you when you are going to the grave? What's it all about? What is life about? What is your life about? What's your purpose in life? I'll tell you mine. So as I've shared kind of briefly, I've been a successful entrepreneur, built companies and sold them and, uh, and made money. And I'll tell you what, life isn't about money. It's about making memories out of moments. It's about the moments you're truly present with other, others. And that could include human beings or the universe itself. And all you leave this planet with is the ripples and vibrations of the moment you've been truly present. And so I summarize my purpose in life as this. I'm on this planet to grow my soul, and I grow my soul best by helping other people grow theirs. Rinse and repeat. And so are you here to sell as many people as much stuff as you can, or are you here to help grow as many people as you can? Because the great Zig Ziglar said, if you can help others grow, you can get anything you want in life. So something like that. And so I think that... Um, Sale is a four-letter word, that service is kind of the new sales, and that your purpose in doing all this stuff, right? We're giving you tools to build a brand and grow a network and stand out from the crowd. Why are you going to do that? What, what's your purpose in life? And I hope that your purpose in life involves somewhat adding value to others at scale. I love that. I typically end every episode with asking if you have a signature or favorite toast to send us out, but I kind of feel like we just did that. But there might be something that's a far cry from that that you typically say when you're with your friends and you hold up a cocktail. So I don't want to make that assumption. On a regular basis, I pour my wife a glass of champagne. And uh, as I hand it to her, I uh, cheers the glass and I give her a smooch. Well, we, we cannot do that. However, I am going to raise my glass because I have one and I am going to say, make others happy and uh, seek growth because that is really how you ended this whole thing. 
John, this has been awesome. I really appreciate you joining me and look forward to following all that you're doing at Nimble and beyond. Thanks again to John for joining me on SAS Half Full. Although he was not drinking his cocktail kit, we definitely sent him one, and it was a Patron John Boy Margarita Collection Kit. Do you feel like you might want a cocktail delivered to your house? Guess what? We can do that. Head on over to shakerandspoon.com forward slash half full, and you'll get 10 bucks off your box at checkout. Again, shakerandspoon.com forward slash half full for 10 bucks off. Thanks for listening, everyone. Always appreciate it. Until next time, bottoms up.